0: Dresses from heaven Help me to make sense of myself again.
1: My girlfriend Sarah is, is the the hairdresser from heaven. So it was kind of inspired by that. wrote the song I don't know I was kind of noticing that people do sort of come into salons in a panic and they're like
0: save me you
1: know and it really is true kind of hear about uh, hear, hear about it from hairdressers if you live with one. So I was kind of like, wow, you guys really are like, save lives. <laughs> like firemen. <laughs> <laughs> <That is
2: true. laughs> hey gang, I'm Teddy. And I'm Lauren. And welcome to What The Sound, the podcast where we sit down with up-and-coming musicians we talk to them about their music and experiences and explore the question, what is it really like to try to make it in music today? In this episode, we talk with Sonny Smith of Sonny and the Sunsets. Full transparency, we're recording remotely right now in full quarantine mode. And we talked with Sonny in person back in February, before all of the COVID horror began. Sonny is who you just heard
3: explain the inspiration behind the title track of his most recent album, Hairdressers from Heaven. The album was released in 2019 under Sonny's own record label, Rocks in Your Head, and it was produced by James Mercer of The Shins. We were excited to sit down and talk with Sonny because he has this amazing ability to create, whether it's music, comics, or plays. He's like a jack-of-all-trades, art edition. He's a prolific, creative person with a very unique voice.
2: We cover a lot in this interview, from Sonny's first music gig as a lounge lizard at a ski resort bar, to the perks of being a late bloomer, and the forever rotating roster that makes up The Sunsets, the band he plays with. And with that, we'll let Sonny take it from here.
1: I am Sonny Smith, Then I play mostly in Sonny and the Sunsets, and uh, you know, write songs, and that's what I try to do every day
0: write songs
1: that's how I see myself the most as somebody who writes and then everything else is in support of that I was born in San Francisco and Kaiser but Geary and my parents were social workers that lived here in the city. In fact, I think when I was born, I think they were living in the sunset. So I've c- come full circle like a um, salmon. I should probably die. I've come all the way back to exactly where I started. My dad was a uh, banjo playing social worker. I would call him maybe like a beatnik. There might be some old photo of him possibly with a beret. My uncle owned a music shop, who was my dad's best friend, and um, so I was given an electric guitar when I was maybe in sixth grade or something, and I covered it in electrical tape to look like Eddie Van Halen's guitar and things like that, you know? I had just turned 17 when I graduated. I wanted to go away from home because I wasn't really that happy at home. The only opportunity thing that I had was to go to this college in Colorado. It was like the only college that accepted me. I was like a C or D student in high school. <laughs> and I did absolutely nothing extracurricular whatsoever. In fact I was like just kind of part of the like outsider stoner set. <laughs> and anyway this story matters because uh, there wasn't much to do in this town so uh, I gravitated towards the um, piano rooms, they had these nice little private piano rooms for the music students and I started learning to play piano and I basically got this gig and it was being like a lounge lizard at a ski lodge bar. I got it because I had gotten one of those DUI, but like a minor DUI DUI thing, like because I was parked in a car but I was drunk and so the cop busted me. I didn't have to like lose my license but I had to go to like these alcohol classes. But one of the women that was in it had a had this gig. She played flute. She would play like Hotel California on the flute. She was sick of her gig, so she gave it to me, even though I had only been playing piano for like a few months. So I kind of went there, and the guy hired me, And I had to play Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights from like eight to midnight. So I had four hour sets and I knew about four songs. So what I learned is how to milk songs completely. And since I was a lit student and I was toying around with writing, I would like either read from, you know, a Jack Kerouac book or something, or I would just recite my own poetry over piano or just whatever I could think of. And the bartender he was like your name my name my given name is Delaney Smith that my parents named me he was like that is not a good music business name which is hilarious because this is like a small town a small (laughs) ski town he's like talking about the music business but he he was like Sunnyland Sunnyland Smith is a good blues name so that was kind of how I got started in music I lived 40 minutes away. So I, I had a, like a little truck and I drove this like one lane mountain freeway there and back three nights a week. To the the snow would be coming down, I'd be like driving up a mountain to go play blues piano as like a new person that had a different name. It was kind of mystical in a way, but at some point I just needed to go somewhere else so I and the most obvious choice was Denver when you were a kid and you had didn't know I really left home too young I think so I did not know anything from Denver I had gotten some money together to buy like a little convertible car it was kind of like my first cool thing I ever bought I guess and it got hit and when it was parked and um. The reason I even explain is I, I got a bunch of insurance money for it. So I had this plan to go to Costa Rica and then, like, navigate down to South America. I got to Costa Rica, and I got kind of, like, to the Caribbean area, and you could, you could basically rent, like, a hammock in these, like, hammock campgrounds and just kind of live for really cheap. And this guy came to the campground, this Swedish guy with dreadlocks, and he was like, do you guys want to go on a... Midnight mushroom jungle hike and we were like Yeah, let's do it. And so we went down this road and he just went like right into the jungle and we kind of thought we were gonna be mugged or something. But um we followed him and it was like really beautiful. He had candles in his backpack, he took them out, he took like these palm fronds and like made like a little candle holder and we were just like marching this trail in the jungle. We got over this grade and I heard music and there was a little cabin and I could see light coming out of it and it was just, it was like a youth hostel way up in the jungle. But it was basically a commune, a a, a communal farm that this Italian guy had taken upon himself to start. And there was one guy there who was a musician. He was a conga player and um, a saxophonist and he became my, my best friend. On this commune, I ended up staying for about two years. There was like a campfire almost every night, and it would like fluctuate in size. Maybe there'd be 30 people, maybe there'd be 10. There was no TVs up there. It was all totally off the grid. So we played, you know, music every night.
0: Someday I'd like to be an artist and give myself away.
1: And at that time, I didn't want to be a musician. I wanted to write screenplays so as i was writing all these screenplays with dialogue and while i was playing guitar i kind of realized that i could start singing kind of what i was writing
0: Ride in my notebook in my bed and listen to the rain so a lot of these
1: songs down there these early songs were um heavy on the characters and dialogue not very good on choruses and hooks and (laughs) things like that. So they would go on a long time, but that was definitely like, I think how I started as a songwriter.
0: Think about the way things could be and how things really are.
1: And to this day, a lot of the songs that I have written are all very um, character heavy and recurring characters and dialogue and stuff. So I think it all started there.
0: Give myself away. Give myself away every day.
2: This interview took place a few months before the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and too many others to name here set off major Black Lives Matter protests around the country, calling for the end of police brutality, defunding of police, and other reforms nationwide.
3: Although this next question is not directly related to the most recent protests and current national uprising, it remains sadly relevant. Here's Sonny's thought process behind the song White Cops on Trial off his 2016 album Moods Baby Moods. is
0: watching the TV
3: White
2: cop on trial, white cop on trial I had a kind of specific question. From Moods Baby Moods, the song White Cops on Trial, the lyrics are standing in the courthouse, getting pictures taken. What will the jury say? We have found him not guilty because we are insane. We have found him not guilty because we are insane. I, I love the song, but I was wondering if it was a response to a particular event or just like the general.
1: Culture. I think that was kind of the year that Black Lives Matter really broke into sort of the mainstream and Instagram hadn't quite hit yet and Facebook was still like sort of the social media of, of choice for most people and it was like every day it seemed like there was a white cop being acquitted for the murder of a black person so I think at some point it was just a natural song to right in reaction
0: to
1: that um, I, I, I think that has more is a more revealing of me not knowing or paying attention to it as much until it like it broke into my you know news cycle Obviously it's been happening all along, but I think because of Black Lives Matter and some instrumental people it just became all of a sudden white sheltered people like me became more aware. Yeah. So that's that's how that song happened.
0: I was walking all alone Like a dog that don't belong Oh, wow.
1: I like when art I that is rough around the edges and crude and my favorite visual artists, you can see their fingerprints and you can see smudges. All that stuff is part of the genius of it striving for the most perfect thing that has no blemishes is also a beautiful kind of art but it doesn't come out of me naturally the first or second take of trying a new song is usually the best one you can maybe hone it or perfect it but if you're going back and belaboring something 30 times i don't know there's something kind of magic magical about music where the musicians are just figuring it out for the first time and exploring it there's magic in the track, I don't really care if there's accidents or mistakes. As long as you have the magic in the track, whatever that sort of thing that is hard to define, but you know it when you hear it, then you're gold, you know? And that shouldn't take that long to find. And if it is, I kind of know that that song just isn't meant to be born yet. There's a slash and burn tactic that I think is kind of nice, where you're like, this just isn't working, let's do this next one. So when I've produced people, getting them to sign on to that kind of idea is hard because they want to, you know, go over it and over and over. I'm no stranger to, like, screwing things up and taking that nice magic track that happened the first day and tinkering with it, till I dissected it too much or putting too many things on it and then taking them all off. All that stuff is part of the process. I think a lot of it is about completion. I know a lot of artists who are geniuses, but they don't know how to finish anything. And it's kind of heartbreaking sometimes. They have great ideas or they have some great songs, but maybe it takes them 11 years to make an album. They just don't have that part of the skill set. I did cross some bridge at some point where I was like, I know how to finish a record. I know how to finish this. I can do this. It's hard. You have to see it all the way through. and spend some all nighters sometimes and you know do what you got to do i've met a, a lot of artists who do create a lot who what what is what is the word prolific who are very prolific they do figure out how to f- complete their projects their their books don't take 10 years their short story doesn't take 6 months that definitely is um something that happens and it kind of did around 33 or 30 32 or 31 or something where i was like okay i get it by the time there was actually any demand for anything that I did, I had some backed-up <laughs> records, you know, so I had material. Pro- prolificness, I'd, I would definitely, there's a couple things out there I'd take back, so it comes with its, <laughs> its cons, too.
2: You write songs and plays and comics, you draw... How do you decide what medium to use when you have an idea?
1: I like recycling things and redoing things, so I have a bunch of songs that reappear on records because I wanted to try it again. And it's not often a very conscious decision, like I have this thing should it be a song or a or a drawing. More often than not, uh, somewhere hour out halfway through i kind of realized it wasn't supposed to be a drawing it was supposed to be a song and then it will kind of just goes in this sort of constant junkyard i have of parts in my notebooks or in my head or on my computer or on my voice memos this kind of living junkyard of ideas that aren't haven't been attached to something else or old songs that i've always meant to break apart and start something new with. And then all of a sudden, maybe I'll be working on a song and realize that that comic book that I tried like a month ago actually is great song lyrics and was the chorus that I needed for the song I started on that day. I'm often wrong. It often starts off in a trajectory that wasn't the right It wasn't meant to be, and it kind of gets changed to some other thing. And really, that's been happening since the beginning. I was going to go play blues piano, but I had all this time to fill, so it ended up being like weird poetry poetry literature read over blues piano chords. I was going to write screenplays, but then I realized that the screenplays could be these songs. And the vice-versus happened where i had a whole idea for a record or whatever and then it was like wait this is these are plays these are little one-act ideas recycling i don't know if it gets talked much much in the art world but i remember being really inspired by this artist i met at a residency years years and years ago i think his name was daniel tierney his whole thing was recy- recycling his art like he would start out with this painting and then he would tear it to pit bits and make a sculpture out of it and then he would get mad and stomp on it and piece it together back into a, a painting that was, could be on a wall and then he'd, you know, throw it in the garbage and then like pull it out and use it on some other new project a week later and I was always like, this
0: is incredible,
1: you know, like, this is genius, I've never seen anybody do this. Sometimes that's kind of how music is, there's a lot of tear down and rebuild and Probably, like, truly improvisatory, you know, jazz dudes and stuff. That's really basically what they're doing
0: all day long.
1: I kind of think I was a late bloomer in a lot of ways. I didn't even really start having any kind of momentum or, like, being able to tour until I was like 36. I'm 47 now. I was certainly making stuff and working and trying to get on tours and doing odd jobs basically. Like I did some social work and I did carpentry and stuff like that. But it, was, um, it wasn't it was until Tomorrow's All Right kind of caught a little wind for Sunny and the Sunsets, the first record, that all of a sudden I was like, wow, I have a booking agent. I can like string together a tour and I ha- I can go to Europe and so it's, I guess it's been nine or 10 years that I have kind of been able to eke out a living through various little trickles. I had already had a kid before the first time I went really on a real tour. I was already 36 and kind of knew how to, you know, do things that like 23 year olds are still, you know, figuring out, you know, and things like that. What I mean is Things where it had an ability to be sustained a little bit because it wasn't so uh, just a huge extreme life change or something. But yeah, so so about ten years ago was I was kind of starting to like maybe almost kind of felt like I had my own little small business and it was Sunny in the Sunsets. It very much is an undefined collective at this point of all the people who are available depending on their life phase. And I wouldn't have it any other way because it's kind of kept it interesting for me over the years. And knowing my personality and its flaws, I think if I was traveled for 10 years all around the world with the same three other people. They'd be dead in a ditch somewhere. i mean, like <laughs> it wouldn't be good for them or me. We'd be very unhappy for people. And there are I think there are a lot of bands that are that do hate each other and kind of stick stick together because they got successful or something.
0: We've been through some things together.
1: Maybe in the very first year, I might have been like, this is, just, "This is the band. It should just be. It should be this." And after a while, it just was clear that it just wasn't. It wasn't doable for anybody to be like that. It wasn't. Certainly, wasn't paying the bills for four people. Maybe a little bit, just by virtue of people's worlds and life's. It just this drummer had to bail, and like Shade even was. He was in the early incarnation but he got kind of busy with the fresh and only's and it was more his baby that band was more his baby than the sunsets, so it, he naturally went over there and and then and then and then it got kind of extreme at some point where i was i was like i'm going to spain and i'm just going to hire a couple of guys to be you know the sunsets in spain for a tour and then all of a sudden i had these spanish sunsets the spanish guys where it became my best friends. And then I was lucky enough to to bring them over to America and mesh them with the American Sunset. So we had a couple tours where it was like we were just all together. It was incredible. When you play with new musicians, the song comes out differently. And I've always loved it when all of a sudden this song kind of has a new beat because this drummer couldn't play that other beat. It wasn't in his skill set. So we had to figure out some other thing or the bass is (coughs) a totally different animal than the last basis so that this song actually we're going to scratch this song cuz it's not right for you but then all of a sudden this song sounds better than it ever has because of your weird way that you play upside down you know i don't know you know when
0: i'm standing in the grocery store
3: you recently started the record label rocks in your head can you tell us a bit about what that process has been like
1: starting a label is um basically like starting an online retail business it's a nightmare it's terrible it's horrible it's like a kafka twilight zone black mirror nightmare word uh, excel uh, learning excel it's uh. i can't believe i'm even doing it it's just wor- it's the worst it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> So at first I was kind of like, okay, I want to put my own record out. And, and then I kind of thought, okay, well, I don't really want to be one of those labels that just puts out my own projects, because that's, kind of that's kind of not as fun. So then I started going around to, mus- to, to to see shows, and I kind of realized that I didn't really actually know what was going on in San Francisco. So it was actually kind of a little bit of a journey for myself, just to kind of go find out what was being made here. And once I did, I was like, wow, yeah, I like this like that like this like there was all kinds of stuff that I liked that's when I was kind of like well what if I just try to just zero in on San Francisco for a while and see if any of these bands want help or whatever and some do and some don't and for the most part it's been pretty gratifying to sort of meet all this new music and at least take part in a little bit of it and out of the sort of woodwork came these two people who are helping me with the label just and we're all basically volunteers at this point you know there's no profit (laughs) has been made i can assure you of that and we have a little little label clubhouse in the garage and we try to figure out what the hell to do that is going to be interesting and the roller coaster of working with other people's art is kind of scary because it's a lot of responsibility to get it right and you know artists are fickle strange creatures i am and so it's they're hard to work with sometimes but then also artists are all my friends so it's kind of like kind of beautiful and hard at the same time but it seems to be working we we have lots of fun things that we are looking forward to doing so that kind of seems like the best indication that we're Going in the right direction. Uh, do you know the band Galore? Galore is our next release. After that, either the band Cindy or Tony J. They're both kind of finishing their projects at the same time. They're pretty, they, they make great music. Well, that's rocks in your head at the moment. And L.A. is constantly sucking all of the musicians out of San Francisco, so whenever I do meet musicians who are kind of diehard San Francisco, you know, doing it, there's a little underdog kind of feeling. <laughs> I think a lot of people kind of moved to L.A. because their friends were, you know, too. So it's a sort of snowball sometimes. I don't think every single artist that went to, musician went to LA went because they like crunched the numbers and figured out that they were going to get, you know, but, but San Francisco just, it just got hit, you know, money came in and clubs closed down and artists couldn't afford the rent and a lot of interesting artists didn't feel like they were being paid attention to here and it was true and Money has a way of making things safer and less interesting. Honestly, like when I did move back to San Francisco when I was like 25, I I couldn't afford rent then either, because I I was always like, um, where am I gonna live? (laughs) You know. There is a lot of musicians who are who are just like "Ah, screw it i'm this is where i live and i'm gonna make it happen and they 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 find a way you know and i like a lot of the bands that i've been hearing i think that's got to come out in the music at some point too in some non-quantifiable esoteric way but that if you have like that sort of fighter spirit to sort of go against the odds or whatever that you will, you know, hope, I think it'll come out in music, in your music at some point.
3: Now here's Everything I Thought I Knew About Being a Dog, an unreleased song off Sunny's upcoming album.
0: i'm a dog you've decided to walk and lately you've tried to teach me to talk but i've become confused and maybe rabbit too i was controlled but now I'm free. And you're standing on the street with your broken.
2: You can listen to and learn more about Sonny Smith and the Rocks in Your Head label at sunnysmith.com, rockshead.bandcamp.com, on Spotify, or wherever you find your music. And you can follow on Instagram for updates and announcements. Thank you, Sonny Smith, for sharing your story, and thank you all for listening.
3: What the Sound is produced by Lauren Schechter and Teddy Alexander, with support from the creator of What the Sound, Ben Schechter.